0: I want to. I titled this morning's message "Options." So when you see that pop up on the podcast, you'll know us this for this Sunday, and also they date it. But really, do appreciate Shane uh, for everything he does in regard to cor- recording the messages and uh, putting it on because it was a lifeline to me. I don't mind attending the Lutheran Church. In fact, uh, uh, Pastor Magruder there the first Sunday. I took the kids myself because Kelly was in the hospital just a couple of days after major surgery so I got those little uh, darlings up and (laughs) got them ready and headed off to church to the Lutheran church and um, it was a different experience I've been there before with them this is Sean's family's church and um, great message Pastor Magruder preached from the last few verses of Acts chapter 2 and uh, he said uh, the early church was known for this what are we known for I thought you preach like this, you might not be here long. But, uh, very challenging message is a great message. I had a chance to talk to him after the service and, and then, uh, Brendan and I got to take the kids to, um, evangelical free church, um, the following Sunday. So, um, you know, I, I really believe that we have more options in life than what we think. Every day we have options. Obviously, you had an option as to what you was going to do today, and and you chose the option to be here. Um, only one option faced us on Thursday, May 4th, as uh, Kelly's pain intensified to a point where we couldn't get her out of the, the den to a car to take her to the ER. We uh, just called the EMTs, and they came and got her. Uh, Yesterday evening, we had multiple options yesterday evening. Uh, We could stay under the reception tent and continue to be pelted by horizontal rain. Risk watching the possibility of the reception tent going airborne, turning loose, or to take refuge in Ron and Wanda's trailer next to the tent. We chose that. And we packed in there like we were hiding out from the nazis it was like we, <laughs> we were <laughs> we were really in survival mode and uh you know it, it was kind of funny at first but when the tent started trying to lift off the ground it wasn't funny anymore so we was like uh we we got to do something because we could be uh this could be a disaster i asked paul to um to and remember a little Ella, because that's why Brandon's not here today. She's been sick. So when Paul was telling me he was going to lead, I says, can you work in Keith Green's, oh Lord, you're beautiful. And there's a reason. I'm going to show you the, the second stanza, because Keith Green to me is, uh, is in his own category. He, he and Rich Mullins, I guess Rich Mullins is the closest person, I would say, to being like a Keith Green. But when you read the lyrics here, I want you to think about something. I want you to think if this, this stanza reminds you of any passage in the Bible. And as you're reading it, I'll take people trying to say this is what this reminds me of. What passage in the Bible. Think about it. Karen. Karen. Well, you kind of stumbled into the other one. Replace the lamp of what? My first love. Where does that come from? Revelation chapter 2. And that's where we're going to go because Jesus gives the church at Ephesus options. And he does with all seven of those churches. And before we, we read from the first verses of Revelation chapter 2, we're going to read the first seven verses of that chapter. Let me just kind of set the stage for you. This is an elderly version of the apostle John. He is maybe even in his 80s when he's writing this. He, he's he's uh They attempted to kill him by putting him into boiling oil. And he didn't die, so the Roman authorities finally exiled him to drive him away from having any influence in the region of where he was at, and exiled him to a remote island, Patmos. For uh, that's where prisoners and the and the incorrigibles were sent if they weren't killed. And so he's on this island, and he has this revelation of Jesus, and this revelation is uniquely described in chapter one. But a couple of things I'm just going to bring your attention to in that description. He sees Jesus. He describes his appearance. And then he notices that he's walking around seven lampstands. And John sees in his right hand seven stars. Now, all of these things were symbols. And Jesus tells him what these symbols stand for that the lampstands are seven churches that he's walking in the midst of. He's in the midst of his churches. But even more significant, the seven stars that are in his right hand are the angels are, uh, uh, angel is not translated here, angelos is just given an English sound. Angelos actually means messenger. So the heavenly beings are messengers of God. It could very well be that this was a word that was used to typify the lead pastor or the or the prophet or the one that was speaking to these churches the word of God and so he begins seven directives to these seven churches and Ephesus is the first of them so I want you to realize that that this was all God revealing to John Jesus Christ In his fullness, in his power, in his resurrected state where he could hardly look at him and could hardly be in his presence without falling on his face and worshiping him. This is what he writes. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write. These are the words of him who holds a seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. Even in the introduction of the letter or the note to the church at Ephesus and to the lead person in Ephesus, he says, this is the one who has the pastors, the leaders in his hand, and he's in the midst of his churches. I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles and are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans. These were people who followed a man by that name, which I also hate. And by the way, their their draw was drawing people in the church toward the cultural practices that were local practices of eating meats dedicated to idols. It was it was the pagan culture. Someone leading. People into dabbling into the page. That doesn't happen today, but it was happening back then. (laughs) Whoever has ears, let them hear what the spirit says to the churches, to the one who is victorious, to the one who overcomes. I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Now, it's obvious when Jesus is speaking to this church, this is one of the great churches that Paul established. This was probably one of the crown jewels of his churches. When you read Philippians and Ephesians, you'll read the, the love and the affection and the confidence that he has in the church and their leadership in those two places. All of the seven churches are in modern-day Turkey. They're all kind of like in the same area, some of the early churches that, that Paul had established. So he commends them. He says, You're hardworking, uh, you're, you're people of a morality and ethics. You, you can, you can determine who are the fakes. Now that's a pretty good thing to be able to do. He says, You can determine who's a false apostle and you find that they are false. But then he says this, I have this one thing against you. And the translation I read is that, You have forsaken the love you had at first in the King James. Thou hast left, thou hast left thy first love. Now, someone asked me the other day, it was actually out of primetimers. I don't get too many theological questions at primetimers, but I had this ask me. Uh... This guy was asking me in the context of he has asked someone else, and he said they they said that you could lose your salvation. So why do why do we believe you can lose your salvation? I said, I don't think I've ever said that, and I don't believe that. I believe you're using the wrong word. Lose is kind of like an accident, right? You, I mean, you hear lose your keys. You don't have to raise your hand. It's a, you know I'm just thinking. I misplaced mine yesterday, but I found them. I didn't do it intentionally. So lose is not, and, and a lot of people misquote this verse, that they had lost their first love. There's a big difference between losing and leaving. And so I told the person, I says, "We, I don't believe it. I said, but I do believe that the Bible teaches there's such a thing as apostasy, meaning you can be a believer and depart from that faith. Or else there wouldn't be a word called apostasy in the Bible. If you're not a believer and you leave, what have you left? And so here he's talking to them and he says, he commends them. He didn't say, you know, you're all backslidden. This is not Laodicea. He's not saying that you make me sick and I, and I wish to spew you out of my mouth. He's not telling the church at Ephesus that. But he is confronting them on something that's wrong. They had left or they had forsaken the love they had at first. And it's obvious not because they had a lack of activity. They had all kinds of stuff going on, wonderful things. And Jesus says, even later on, he says, you, you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans. They had a standard of conduct, but something was wrong. Something was missing. Let's go back to the options Jesus gives them. And and I think most of this is going to be in verse 5. Some translation you might have says, remember. Does yours read like like that? Remember from where thou hast fallen. I just read, consider. It's the same thing. Remember that verse 5 is the whole crux of what I'm sharing this morning. Remember where you have fallen. Repent. Repent. And do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from his place. How many know that he's given them an option? And the first option is to think about where they used to be. Remember where you used to be. Repent. Redo the first things again. If you don't repent, I will confront you. I will remove your lampstand from his place. Did I summarize that? Okay. That's all in verse 5. So there you have it. This is a choice, and that choice has consequences. Can you remember where you were years ago? And if you're not where you used to be years ago in terms of spiritual vitality, he says you have fallen, you have descended into a lower place. That's what that word means. Falling means to have a descent, to not be where you used to be, but now you're down here. And all of that is connected from you have departed or forsaken your faith. And here's something I want you to think about. Think about yourself individually and ourselves collectively. Can we remember when we were more committed, when we were more engaged, more involved, more dedicated, more connected, more ministry-driven? And I came back, I got home about 3.30 a.m. Wednesday morning. And it was great to see that Alabama line. Hallelujah. And couldn't wait to get here Wednesday. And to be up here preaching Wednesday. And then the next day, we had Evelyn Smith's memorial service. And there were ladies there. It wasn't a large attendance there. But there were ladies there. That connected to Evelyn Smith in the 1980s when she would have prayer meetings in her home. Teaching them about spiritual warfare. And seeking God and praying and crying out to God. How often do we have those things today? Should that be a part of our lives? And could it be that when we reflect, when we just have to reflect a little bit, have we digressed in some places? If we have, could this passage refer to us? Could Jesus actually be talking to us, not piling in on us, even commending some of the things we're doing, some of the involvement we have? But he did say there's just one thing, I've I've got an issue with you, there's... Things that you used to do that you loved that were good, but now you don't do them anymore. You got all of this going on, and yet, here's Evelyn Smith, this mentor in the 80s, have these ladies there that still feel connected to her. What about us? Verse 5 again, repent and do the things you did at first. What does it mean to repent? Repent. I'm going to tell you in just a minute what it doesn't mean. But that's the word, that's the key word that Jesus started his preaching ministry, was it not? When the anointing of the spirit came upon him and he went about preaching in the, in the Galilee plains and anywhere there could be a crowd, he would preach. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Turn. He was telling them it's time to turn. It's time to make a U-turn from where you're at and turn to the Lord because now the kingdom of heaven is. Is at hand. The word actually means, in essence, literally, to change your mind. That's what we repent to change. And this is what it doesn't mean it does not mean that Jesus is calling them to apologize. I'm sorry. Because what's the one thing we always question about any apology? sincere (laughs) that's the one thing like you know and how many have you asked your children to apologize to each other and they're very sincere when they do that (laughs) they say the words (laughs) they comply with the order but there's something else still there like you know you can tell well say it nicely you can make them say it as nice as you want to but you can't make them really internally change My dad says, well, we might not, but we can help you have remorse about not changing. (laughs) He said, these people who said that, and they had no remorse. He said, "I I can give my children remorse. And then they can calculate whether it's worth not changing. But you can see that we can say those words. That's not what he's asking this congregation to do. He's not saying that for them to say a collective, we're sorry, Lord. We're sorry that we have forsaken our first level. We're sorry that we're not doing the things we used to do. We're just really sorry. Is that what he wants? Does he want our apology? What does he want? He wants changed behavior. That's what repentance is. Repentance calls for a redirection. I think I've illustrated this before on the word repentance. Repentance is this. Repentance is realizing you're on the wrong bus going in the wrong direction. And you sit on the bus. And you pull the little cord or you go and tell the driver. You tell him, stop. I got to get off this bus. Go across the street and catch the bus going in the right direction. Remorse is sitting on the bus and complaining That you got on the wrong bus. And you complain every time it stops that you're on the wrong bus. That's remorse. But repentance is, I got to get off this bus. And I got to get going in the right direction. You know, I mentioned uh, back in April. In a message that I preached about the thief next to Jesus getting saved. And it's kind of interesting because he never asked the Lord to forgive him. He never once said, "I'm sorry, Lord." or, "Please forgive me, Lord." Never once did He say that. But he repented. and this is how you repented. When he said these words, listen, <laughs> who's, who's done jail ministry in here? You done jail ministry? Though? It's a wonderful ministry. But they'll tell you anything. (laughs) They'll tell you anything. This is his repentance. When he said, we are getting what we deserve. That is repentance. No longer saying, uh, I'm innocent. They framed me. Uh, The judge had something against me. The, the deck was stacked against me. I had bad representation in court and, and on and on and on. But when someone says, I, I had one of the main leaders in our church in Florida be arrested. And I was told the day he was arrested, taken off his job. And I was told what he was arrested for. And it stunned me. It stunned It just stunned me. I I managed to, to be able to see him in jail. And when I walked in and they allowed me to talk to him, he looked at me and he said, Pastor, I did that. I did that. It was seven years ago before I was a believer, I did that. And whatever happens to me, I deserve it. Whatever they want me to do, as a consequence, though I didn't know the Lord when it happened, I deserve it. That man suddenly had respect in my eyes because he owned up to what he did. He could have told me they're all lying. It's a setup. And all. I mean, that this is all that, that people are paying them to say this. He could have went all along with that. But he says, it's true. And we stood by him, I stood by him, I I prayed with him, we helped him. And many people, like, abandoned the ship because we were helping so-and-so who was guilty of such-and-such. And today, that couple is still married by the grace of God. And that man humbly accepted all the consequences of what he had done. That is a different way of approaching a problem. And this is what the Lord said. He's not not asking Ephesus to come and collectively apologize to him. He says, repent. Let me take you to another place where this is illustrated. It's John chapter 8. Great story. Woman taken in adultery. And you know the story well. Jesus never says a word to this woman until late in the situation. His focus is not on her, even though the focus was put on her. She was being shamed in front of everybody in the town. And here he is in a real-life situation where this woman's life was at stake, and he never says anything to her initially. He looks at the people ready to stone her, and he says this, he that is without sin, throw the first one. And And he's riding in the dirt. Whatever he's riding, he's riding in the dirt. He looks up, and eventually they all leave. They drop their rocks, and they leave. Still, he hasn't said anything to her. And she doesn't say a thing to him until he looks and he says, where are they? Is there no one that condemns you? And she says this. No one, sir. That's all she says. There's not another word that's recorded there from her lips. Not I'm sorry. Lord, forgive me. He says, neither do I, catch this, he's about, he's about to make this connected to Revelation 2. He says, neither do I, go and sin no more. You know what he was saying? Go and live a repentant life. It's just not you got spared the consequence of this. Live a life that doesn't put you in this position again. Live a life of surrender. You see what, what we want? We want God just to wipe the slate again. And again. And again. And there's no changed behavior. I'm not saying he won't do that, but that is not repentance. Repentance is when you come to the intersection and you know you've got to make a turn. You've got to turn away from what you're doing. And by the help and grace of God, I love the verses, the songs we sung about his grace is amazing and his grace is enough. But I love it when it says, your grace abounds to me. We may have a thin crowd here this morning, but we don't have thin grace here this morning. We have abundant grace in this room by the grace of God to heal our lives and to turn our lives around. And then he says, Go back and do the things that you used to do. Wednesday night I touched on this subject about confession and absolution. Because I was in a liturgical sacramental grace setting in Fort Collins. But really wouldn't it be just a sad thing that someone just looks forward to a clean slate every Sunday. With no change. Is that What he's called us to is check the box every Sunday. No, he's called us to live for him. Redo the things. Repent and do the things you did at first. What are those things that you did at first? We don't know what those things were. We don't know what he was referring to. But undoubtedly, he saw them slipping away from things that they used to do. That was part of the vibrancy of their faith. And he says, go back. They knew what he was talking about. And if the Lord spoke to us, we would know what he's talking about. We wouldn't know what he's doing. All of us know ourselves better than anyone else. If he spoke something to us about that, we know exactly what he's pointing us to. And we can plant our foot and kind of stomp our feet, but he's not not telling us this to hurt us. He's telling us to redirect us to a more wholesome life in the faith and in the Holy Spirit. I don't dismiss the the role of remorse and the role of, of a sense of, God, I I am sorry. I I think it's okay to pray that. But that's not repentance. But listen to what 2 Corinthians 7.10 says. Godly sorrow leads to repentance. And not only that, it says, and that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. Godly sorrow is good because it leads us to own up and say, Lord, I've got to have something different here. I've got to have a different heart, a different mind. I need to be free from this. If there's a sin that so easily besets us, we we have to cry out to God and say, God, you have to break this off of me. You have to deliver me from this. I don't want to keep going this way. And godly sorrow leads us to that place of total and complete surrender to him. Which is true repentance, which is true salvation. And the rest of that verse says, worldly sorrow brings death. What is worldly sorrow? Worldly sorrow is found in John 8 when Jesus said to her, it says, woman, where are your accusers? Is there no one that... What's the word he used? Condemns you. Is there no one that is piling on you shame and disgrace? You know, one of the things you will not find Jesus doing, and that's using shame as a motivation for someone to change. But we use it all the time. uh, Young people use it all the time. Because they can't wait to tell their friends something somebody did so they can shame them and the people disliking them like they dislike them. And when someone is eager to tell the goods on someone, there's, some, there's something that's sinister in that. Because actually, if we want them to change, we're actually trying to use shame and condemnation to provoke change. Jesus never used that. Never used Shame never use condemnation. in fact he said I didn't come into the world to condemn the world but the world through him would be saved and he says the reason I don't I didn't come to condemn they're condemned already they're already under a lot of condemnation so that's not the motivation here's, here's the option though all this is in verse 5 it's really good if you don't repent and what, what does that mean if you don't repent if you don't do what change and if you don't turn and if you don't go the other direction and if you don't one more thing get off the bus there's one more thing there's one more thing that he told him to do and if you don't go and do the former first things again see repentance was not saying we're oh, sorry we kind of messed up Lord For him, he was saying repentance is, yes, you hit the target. We're guilty. We got to go back and start over and do the first things again. He says, now, if you don't do that, what's the consequence? Remove your lampstand from its place. Now, before... You come to a theological conclusion about this. He is not cutting them off. He's moving their place of influence away. Ephesus was the most prominent church in this list. Smyrna and Philadelphia are the two churches that he didn't have an issue with. The only two out of the seven that he didn't... Charge them with negligence or with sin. But Ephesus, as a historical church, was the most prominent one in this bunch. It's no wonder he spoke to them first. And he, and he qualified, the qualification was, I am the one who holds the stars and walks in the lampstands. I'm talking to you, Ephesus. I'm talking to your place of influence. And you're missing what your place of influence can be doing by neglecting what you used to do and if this is the way you want it i will go along with it i'll move you from that place of influence so they had an option you know ephesus was where mary the mother of jesus supposedly attended church and died in ephesus and because she was in ephesus guess what apostle was known to live there John, because John was entrusted to take care of her. So that was John's home. This is a great church. But it was, it was something he said, but you're missing something. And he called him to. And then he adds this. To him who overcomes. In other words, if, if you choose A instead of B. If you choose age, if you repent and go back and do the first things, here's what's, going, here's what's waiting for you. You'll be able to eat from the tree of life in the paradise of God. You'll have spiritual vitality, and you'll be in the presence of God. Now, we might think that's all futuristic. Well, why did he want, why would he just have something futuristic for them if they would accept his challenge and his options do you, think, do you think Jesus would challenge us at all today if Jesus was in the pulpit next Sunday? And I, I would like for that. <laughs> I, would, I would gladly, yes, if you guys can come to the platform. Would he challenge us? Would he give us a challenging word of speaking to our lives and saying, wow, where, where have I slipped in my life, in my profession of faith? It saddens me when I see through social media people that I've known to have a relationship with the Lord and they're drifting. It's obvious that something is going haywire with them. And says, oh, Lord, rescue them. You see what grace does? Grace intercepts us. But grace doesn't force us. God doesn't force you and I to repent. Even when he's made it really clear to us, we've messed up. And he knows we messed up. He doesn't force us. Just like Ephesus. He didn't force Ephesus. He says, this is it. This is what I'll do. But if you choose not to, this is what's going to happen. At the end of services, I'm reading a book now that chronicles the changing of the church culture in America. Remember Sunday night services? Anybody remember Sunday night services? Remember revival services? Remember when Wednesday night? I remember when Sunday school had a larger attendance on Sunday morning than church. Because the teaching part of Sunday morning was so important to everybody. I don't think people didn't like Brother Carter's preaching on Sunday morning when I was a kid. But... They would. some of them would file out after Sunday school now we can't hardly you know get some people here for that teaching hour do, do you see where we, we've changed I'm not saying that we got to replicate that but I do believe we need to find and discover the spirit of that and embrace where we are off and own it and say God help me not to treasure going to can't wait to get out of church to go eat and see we got that solved today you don't have to hurry there's chicken fettuccine waiting on you so we're clear but I remember when our altar times was a time of prayer when we wanted God to speak to us we wanted God to empower us we wanted God to heal us my mother dragged us to church when we had fevers because she really believed that if they could anoint us with oil before church started, that we would be healed. And, you know, now we said, if you run the fever, stay away. We'll pray for you for, from a distance. But that was her simple mind is it? we got to get you. They, they got to anoint you. with the, the, God's going to touch you. Would you stand with me? Lord, I pray today. um, You're not speaking to us to condemn us today. You're speaking to us to encourage us to step toward you, not away from you. To step toward truth and toward true repentance. Forgive us for hearing your word and walking away from it. Without really being pressed to do something about it. We really do need a fresh outpouring of your Holy Spirit to provoke us to spiritual hunger and spiritual thirst. Holy Spirit, come. Come in this place. Holy Spirit, have your way in this moment to heal and set free those who are battling an illness, those who need help, Lord. Bring about a change in our lives, Lord. And if that's your desire, would you just come and stand here as we close this service and we seek the Lord and say, God, change my heart, change my attitude, help me to change my attitude, help me to have a different approach to what I'm doing with my life. I want to thank you for praying for Kelly because she dodged a serious issue when she had major surgery but she said to me she said dad this has woke, awoken me this has been a wake up call for me uh, God is talking to me again and there couldn't have been better words for me to hear her say I wasn't where I needed to be and this, is, this has stirred me and if that's you if, if, if you want that if you want this intimacy with the Lord I want you to just come and stand and just present yourself to him. Saying, God, stir my heart. Stir my heart for you, Lord.